0: Hi, I'm Haley. And I'm Sydney. And this week's episode on Uncharted Waters is, is to, to die, die for. Hey, Sydney.
1: it going? Oh, it's going out here recording in a tiny little pod at uh, the library on James Cook campus. Um, But yeah, I uh, ran a a gel and PCR workshop yesterday, which was fun to teach um, a bunch of masters and undergrad students how to do some work in the lab with coral uh, DNA.
0: So
1: that That's was really cool. And yeah, I also went diving this past weekend. I've been out of the water for a little bit. I feel like just been busy with school and moving. Um, and I saw, oh, I also did it on our uh, To Die For story. I was like, why does this sound like I've already said this? But I went diving on Magnetic Islands, uh, just a little shore dive. And Saw, like, some cool nudibranchs, some huge table corals, um, and then also saw a apulet shark, which was so cute. And, yeah, it was like a murky muck dive, but saw lots of cool things, and it was so fun to get back in the water. That's awesome. Yeah, it sounds like an
0: awesome dive. I It's funny. I always love, like, the big dramatic reefs and, you know all the of course little tiny animals and the corals and big sucker for invertebrates but it's so funny so lawrence was just here last week or i guess a little more than that now uh for my birthday and we were diving a bunch and he like out on the big reefs he's always like man like if i see cool things that's it, it, it's fine but like i love a good muck dive man he cannot get <sighs> enough of them and it makes me laugh so hard like I I think yeah. that there's I think there's two kind of divers, right? It, or like a couple more. There's like muck divers, reef divers and like <laughs> megafauna divers. So,
1: yeah. I don't know. It was it was nice to get a dive in, but we're going up to Cairns not this weekend, next weekend, um, and diving out on the Great Barrier Reef. So, I'm stoked to do some like nice visibility uh deeper diving, big dramatic reef, big schools of fish. So I'm excited for that. And it's only like 30 minutes from shore compared to in Townsville. It's like two and a half hours to get out to the (laughs) reef. So, yeah, I'm excited for my short little boat ride.
0: (laughs) It's going to be great. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, that's really fun. Yep. (laughs) That's awesome. What have you been up to? I have been. What have I been up to? I've been writing <gasps> papers. That's really fun. I've been coding. Uh, yeah, oh. crazy. I let's see. On Monday, we went out to the nursery to do some like nursery maintenance diving, which was really fun. And on our way out there, we got caught in like a squall from offshore, and it was. Like, it really, it wasn't too terrible. The winds weren't really that bad. The waves weren't really that bad. There wasn't really any lightning. But, like, the little raindrops, just, like, needles in the face when you're up on plane, right? Like, we're going fast, and Mm -hmm. there's, like, no windshield on this boat. And so we're just all, like, I was really half-tempted to go get my dive mask and put it on just to protect part of my face. That's what I've done. It's
1: wild. Yeah, that's what you gotta do.
0: Yeah. Yep, so, uh, yeah, I've been doing a little bit of diving, done a little bit of fun diving, so it's been pretty good. Got to see lots of things lately, spent a lot of time breathing underwater, and I'm trying to get to my 600th dive by, like, the end of January, but I have 50 left, and I'm really, I'm not sure. I'm I'm trying, so if anyone wants to come dive with me to help me get my numbers up, please do. (laughs)
1: I believe in you. You can do it.
0: Uh, let's see. <laughs> Anything else that I'm up to? Nothing really that I can think of. Um, I did have, I don't know where my phone went, but I do have a news piece for us
1: this week. Oh, exciting.
0: This week's news piece is not a very fun one. Uh, but I basically, I found, I came across this video on Instagram this week that I thought was interesting. Um, it is one of these kind of very dramatic videos and it has like the headline exposed and it talks about, it has this video of a dolphin entangled in some like fishing line. Really not a great fun video to watch, but something that I noticed about it, it said for some context that this is in Queensland, Australia, and that Queensland deploys 26 gill nets called shark nets, uh, yeah. and almost okay. 400 baited hooks called drumlines at 86 beaches in an effort to cull shark populations. It says in the caption, um, and it emphasizes that the program doesn't just catch and kill sharks. It was also obviously hooked this dolphin in the process, and it. The caption kind of goes on to criticize the way that things are handled, um, and. While that isn't a huge piece of news, I do think that it's really interesting uh, to kind of talk about, I feel like there's some uh, dynamics in this kind of area of news where a lot of things can be really sensationalized. A lot of people pull out these really dramatic, terrible, awful videos of, you know, standalone or, or rare instances of really negative occurrences and then use it to kind of put on blast an entire decision that was made Um, And so I don't know a whole lot about the shark calling happening in Queensland. I don't, I'm, yeah, less informed about it probably than you do, but I do just want to like be a voice to put out there, like not every awful video is actually necessarily an ongoing huge problem. Like if we sensationalize and dramatize all of these things so much, uh, we can put so much emotion behind it that it can be really hard to kind of have conversations with the different stakeholders and communities that are a part of the problem. Um, So I just encourage everybody who's listening to kind of go out and be a part of um, like learning about these different things and not just scrolling across Instagram videos like I did admittedly and, you know, having these strong feelings and reactions to it and then deciding to be like an online crusader for something that you don't understand the the full context of.
1: Yeah, um, I will say... I do know a little bit about this issue, and um, it is definitely does catch a lot of bycatch, lots of dolphins, lots of whales, sea turtles, catches everything. And um, I do agree that you said that we should um, not, like, get too caught up in it, that we can have productive conversations around it. Um, And this is definitely one of those topics, so... I watched a documentary, I guess maybe last year, um, called The Envoy Shark Call, and um, it had a bunch of different divers, different shark scientists, um, most of them based in Australia. And I think, like, um, Shark Girl Madison, Madison Stewart, who runs Project Hue, um, if anyone, if that rings a bell for anyone, she was in this film along with people like Ocean Ramsey, um, Eric, Eric Bana, Tom Carroll. Um, So there was a bunch of people in this film uh, talking about the issue of shark calling, how these nets work and other um, not as detrimental solutions that could be implemented. And kind of also touched on how ineffective these shark nets are in catching their target species. So they catch all these other things, all these really fantastic megafauna, uh, like whales and dolphins that I touched on. but they don't do a good job of catching sharks. So therefore they're out there being ineffective, still letting sharks through and also killing other marine life in the process. So, I would say definitely watch this movie called Envoy Shark Call. Um, it's like almost two hours documentary that came out in twenty twenty one and that gives a lot of good background about this issue and there's lots of groups that are looking to get those nets out of the water and put in um, some different more effective methods. Um, I can't remember them off the top of my head but I feel like they were trying to use like drones and observers but then there's also like other technological advances that they've made like I don't I want to say it's like a better barrier i can't remember but in that film Hmm. they talk about it not a gill net
0: (laughs) yeah yeah definitely yeah super cool well thanks for providing me more information about that and yeah i think obviously you know there's lots of really challenging environmental problems going on within the marine realm um but i don't know for me i feel like it's really important to kind of hear the facts and the data and the statistics on it because yeah. for example like that could be a super common occurrence or it could be a one off event that i am still watching that same video and still going to have that same emotional response and without knowing the context without knowing if this is the like one of the only times this has ever happened or if this is like every mm-hmm. day uh you you really don't have any information about what's actually happening on the ground um, yeah. so i think super important to advocate for marine organisms and and limit bycatch and all sorts of things, Uh, but also important whenever receiving information about these kinds of things to kind of ask more questions beyond just like, what's this horrendous video that I'm watching that's going to elicit an emotional response, right? Yeah,
1: and um, I think that's a really good point. And with this shark call film I was talking about, They did have to end up going to the government and submitting um, for, like, records back to them um, showing, like, actual numbers of organisms that have been caught with photos because they are not releasing that to the public because it's such a controversial issue. Um, And they also don't let people go out and remove organisms from those nets. So if you see something caught in a net and you want to go try and untangle a dolphin... Or a turtle like you will get fined I'm pretty sure for touching the nets so definitely a very complex issue um go to the sources like Haley said like look deeper into it in this case people are going to the government to get um the facts on the animals they recover from these nets and make statistics from it but yeah go to your sources don't get too too caught up and yeah it's definitely an interesting news piece I'm glad you brought that one up because I am in Queensland right now so I haven't seen a shark net but uh, yeah I totally forgot about this so that kind of brings us back up in the, into the forefront of my mind
0: yeah yeah cool well um, it kind of has nothing to do <laughs> with our episode for the week so I'm sorry for this really awful transition we're about to do Uh, But we are gonna go back for more from Rob from last week. This will be our first two-part episode, like we said last week, and we are super excited to get you guys kind of the rest of this interview. Uh, We stopped last week talking about some cool experiences that Rob has had in Cozumel and how uh, rare it is actually for him to see sharks. Is kind of I think the last thing. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Um, We yeah yeah transition it was all on purpose i tied it in <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so uh now we'll go back and hear a little bit more about how rob got the got to his position right now and a little bit about his background and education and go from there with the rest of our usual questions so we hope you guys are waiting with baited
1: oh
0: uh... <laughs> um... i <Baited>, get it <laughs> And yeah, without further ado, here's Rob Stansfield. Can we talk about, can we ask about your dive uh, oh. education? Like what you had to do to get to this stage?
2: Okay, so uh, the highest qualification I hold, wow, do you know what, it's a weird one. Uh, so I I did <laughs> I did my open water, um, advanced rescue, dive master, and everything in Koh Tao. Um, mm-hmm. I then came to- Where is that? Koh is in the Gulf of Thailand it's okay. a really cool little divey place because you can dive all the time Pi town it's great fun it's like it's uh yeah it's just a wrong place um it's great i mean a wonderful place diving's really good and, and it's, it's you know amazing so i did a lot of training there which is really good um did it with a, with a group of guys called rocktopus um ssi ssi training um then i came to mexico and uh, did some diving and really got into caves. So I did all my cave qualifications, and, and that was incredible. Um, then I came to cozumel and I didn't really do much more qualifications-wise. I did, I did uh, my um, IDC, and I then did a crossover to uh, S- SSI. Um,
0: what What skill set do you think that you use the most in your line of work so like you're taking people out on a boat you're guiding
2: um so, so i yeah i think i mean the, the, the biggest thing i mean people always come back to me and say my dive briefing's brilliant um <laughs> I blow my own head up but um yeah i i think i think public speaking is is probably the biggest thing that that i've needed because i need to talk people mm-hmm. into doing a dive that they've never even heard about before and talk and introduce something to them that They've maybe seen or a couple of articles maybe on the internet. I mean, I know Paddy did a big push about it. Um, there's ocean. I, my, I had my whole thing come out in Oceanographic. There's quite a big push towards blackwater diving generally in the industry because it's kind of new mm-hmm. and fresh, and it looks great on magazines. I, you know, it creates it generates incredible images. Um, so that's kind of cool. Um, yeah. I, I think the biggest skill for diving wise yeah. for me is is buoyancy. The buoyancy, the blackwater dive is a, is, is all about buoyancy. Uh, most people are not taught it when they go, when they get learn, when they learn to dive. Um, it seems to me that that most dive shops are all about. Mm-hmm. You have three days to teach someone to dive, um, and you can't fail them because that's bad business. So people learn to dive hit, touching the bottom. People learn to dive pushing off everything. I mean, I was the same, right? I, I'm not you know, I should I, I'm no one to talk because I remember what I was like when I first learned to dive. crawling all over the reef, you know, it's terrible stuff. But that's really doesn't you can't do a dive. if you if you're if you're a person who touches the reef or has to use a finger or has to use a pokey, there's nothing worse in this world when I see a photographer and they got a pokey stick. it basically that's basically saying, I can't dive because I need to physically touch something in order to take a photo where in Blackwater environment, there is nothing to touch. So you have to use your fin kick. You have to have the ability to stop, move, come backwards. And so, yeah, I mean, it's always a big... I, I, I always know that it's going to be a funny dive and I'm going to have a good laugh at people when I see them turn up and they got these metal rods. And it's, and it's, and it's kind of shame because metal rods are not allowed in the Cosmo Marine Park. But because, uh, because, you know, dive shops are here to try and make money, because there is this tipping society... Yeah. people have to keep customers happy and if people can't dive they don't want to be told there's nothing worse than turning around to someone and saying stop what you're doing is wrong Mm-mm. because that doesn't generate a tip well it, it, it does if you if yeah. you back that up with let me help you yeah. but there isn't the time in the world for that so it's it's re- there's this catch 22 situation of of it this tipping based society or tipping based job culture generates this bad diver who just flails around and yeah. kicks stuff and pushes off things. And you can, do you know what? You can take quite a nice photo if you've got a tripod and you just plant <laughs> it on the reef. But what's the cost of that photo? How many things have you crushed? How many things have you broken in order to take your photo? And, and black water diving <laughs> is is like an indicator of are you able to take a photo without touching? And, and it really shows, you know, because I get these famous photographers turn up who yo-yo as they're unable to control their balance because they're they're normally overweighted. When they go diving on a reef, they've learned how to dive. In fact, I heard this from a very famous diver who I won't name. And his response was when we confronted him for for having divers holding onto the reef, I don't teach people to dive. I teach them to take photos. And I think from an underwater photographer is an appalling statement. You should be teaching people how to dive so they can take photos without... killing everything because you know what's the cost of a photo what's the cost of it and i think that's something that we all need to think about when we do something in this world what's the cost what's the environmental impact of us doing it i mean i you know we we could go out an awful lot further into the channel to do these black water dives but i've worked out where we need to drop so we save as much fuel as we possibly can and and that way it kind of because i'm I'm really anti-boats i hate boats when i go out diving you see the impact of these boats all these big engines running you know you get these divers saying please don't touch the reef and yet they just dumped off a boat that's got 600 horsepower screaming across the reef burning 50 60 liters of fuel on one little trip and it's like what what, what are they talking about the environmental cost yeah. of your diving don't touch the reef when you've just dumped you know a hundred thousand blooming dead dinosaurs into it so so you know, it, it, I think as as divers and as human beings, we've got this responsibility to think about the cost of what we do and how that impacts everything in life. And if you're a diver and you're taking photos of a shrimp and in the pho- process of you taking your, your crappy photo, slightly blurry, overexposed photo of a shrimp, you've just smashed an entire cor- coral colony, well, that's pretty poor show, isn't it? So, you know, I, I think it's, you know, just for what? Your 10 likes on Facebook. It's embarrassing. So, you know... Yeah, I mean... I mean, what am I talking about? I, I jump into the ocean with, with you know, 180,000 lumens worth of lithium. Oh, you know, the impact, the global impact of that is pretty horrific. So, oh, glass houses and throwing stones. However, you know, we try not to smash too many coral colonies up while doing it. And I think that's a very much a, a common trend with buddying underwater photographers is they, they smash the crap out of the reef in the process yeah. of taking their, their 15 likes on Instagram and and that's kind of sad yeah
0: i think i think something that um a photographer friend of mine in south florida has said is that like he always wants to take pictures or like you should always want to take pictures with the best interest of the ecosystem that you're trying to represent in mind right like the whole point of you taking this picture is to is to win hearts yes. is to sway public opinion is to like create this yeah. anthropomorphized like
2: No it's not it's it's how famous can i get on instagram
0: <laughs> Well i mean that may be some people's point but right like the the idea of conservation photography is to create a name for this organism and yeah, if you yeah. are agree. doing that and then at the same time, you know, you're cutting yourself off at the knees, really is 100%. I guess kind of the 100%. gist.
2: There. I took a photo of the animal, unfortunately I killed it in the process. And so therefore it's not around anymore.
0: Yeah, or killed its house like, you know, messed up its home or
2: I suppose when you think about it, what well, the way I often tell people during the when during the briefing is um is what we're doing is we're doing a random sample of the ocean. We're a drop in it essentially um i remember when i was when i was doing my biology thing we would go into a field we'd take a set square throw the set square into the field and then count the species within that square and that give you the a general idea of what's in that field that's essentially what we're doing on the blackwater dive we throw in a ball and we then survey an area and we know roughly what's in it so taking out one little flounder is that going to affect the, the ocean's pretty big isn't it so But the the thing is, I don't know, I I, I guess my mum brought me up with the whole idea of not killing a single animal and, you know, walking on things and killing things is unnecessary. Um, You know, and if I find a spider, it's got to go outside and stuff like that. So the idea of collecting these animals is uh, kind of hurts me, the thought. I want to further the idea of science, but there's a little side to me that goes, that's
0: wrong. Yeah, it's that's that is the the trouble with environmental science in general these days, truthfully.
2: Yeah, do you know what I realised that these days I realize that environmental science is just about um, it's just about managing crises, crisis, and basically people management. And it's how do you stop these massive, you know, you get two sides attacking each other. How do you, you know, help? That's what environmental science is these days, isn't it? There's a term for that, and it's the ability to crisis manage like confrontations and that's all it is isn't it I mean you, you currently look at the, the Mayan train project and you've got a group of people going please don't kill our environment and a group of people saying we want to make money and how do you how do you make this you well the answer is the two are inadmissible aren't they so I don't know how it works but that's the problem with the world isn't it
1: so Rob what is one challenge you faced in the field and how have you overcome it and how would you suggest someone interested in the field maybe prepares for a challenge like that?
2: Okay, people didn't believe me. It was here. People didn't believe. People were telling me, "No, you need to go to to uh, Philippines to do it." Um, they didn't think that the the water around here was full of life like that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the biggest. Uh, no, what else? What's the biggest? <sighs> Do you know what? The, uh, one of the biggest challenges was finding a boat company that was willing to take their boat out there. Um, yeah. That was re- that was a really big thing because an awful lot of the boats on Cosmel, you get a big pile of white paint and you put loads of filler in it. And then you just basically paint the boat with this filler and it fills and he cracks up. It makes it look pretty, but there's actually no real rid- strength, no rigidity to that. So there's a lot of these boats which are are really OK as long as you keep them very close to shore you don't necessarily want to take them out into open ocean. So I, you know, I spoke to an awful lot of companies and they just looked at me and went, no, you're you're nuts. There's, you know, no, you're not taking our boat out there that far. Um, Just because, you know, if there is a problem on Cozumel locally on the reefs, what they do is they just drive the boat directly at the reef and it's always going to be within a kilometer of where they are and it shouldn't sink too much. But then all of a sudden I'm asking them to take them, you know, take it like four or five kilometers out into the middle of the channel at night in waves yeah, that was the biggest thing, um, and I think my advice to anyone who's trying to do something that's just ridiculous in most people's view is just to keep going. Um, if you if you really believe it's there, prove to people it's there. You know, you know, it, it was for me it was a real case of making, you know, showing to people. You know, and I really had to push them and say, look, come on, come with me. Let's do one. Let's try one, and see what happens. Yeah. And I think I was really really lucky that I went out there and the people saw it and went, wow, okay, yeah, that is something and and after a couple of them people were hooked and it was like yeah okay we got it we're gonna do it and then i found a group of people that are willing to take their boat out um they they've since then they've worked on the boat and made it custom for us to go out there so it's got all the lights it's got everything everything you want the boat to be doing it's doing um you know we put all the safety safety nets in place all the transponders and the you know all these we basically i basically before this job i used to do a job where running concerts and festivals with video There's one really crazy thing that that if you have a single fault with a big screen TV in front of a load of people, they all see it. If you're in lighting or if you're in sound, you can have a bit of feedback and people go, hey, the guitar fed back, whatever, people get over it. If they see a light flash, they just turn the light off and then the the rest of the show looks great. But if the TV has a fault, everyone goes, telly's broken. And everyone's glued to it. There's something about it. In 2012, I was in been in Poznan in Poland and the TV that I had right at the beginning of the game had a fault and the fault just happened to be in one of these golden sections of the screen and there was one photo taken by a a, a Polish um, uh, uh, newspaper people of this broken square of the TV was right in the eye of one of these one of the football players who was playing at the time and he looked like a pirate and it ended up being on national TV as the TV broke and it was anyway, whatever. But but in in that game, in that whole career that I had there, my whole life was about making sure there's backups to backups. If something goes wrong, can I carry on working? Is there safety involved in this? So if you're going climbing on the back of a TV, you have two ropes. If you're if you have signal coming from front of the house, you know, from the, from the from the control position, you have to have two lines. If you've got a power setup, do you have a backup for all this stuff? So if there is a problem, within moments you can be back up and running again. And and that kind of attitude—that you know—is there a backup to this? I you know I apply to my life all the time, and especially with blackwater diving, is there a backup to this? What do we do if this happens? So so you know we spent an awful lot of time doing that, analysing the dive and working out how to do it, and going you know is there a backup to this? What happens if this happens? And you know, it, it's kind of, I think it's a good way to live really, isn't it? And I, I think technical diving and cave diving has kind of really put that on me. You know, if you run out of air, where's your extra air supply? Where's your extra air, you know, light supply? And all this. So, so you know, there's this whole thing that goes on with it. I know I've totally forgotten the question. And I, the challenge of taking people out there, there we go. So the, the, the biggest challenge I had has really been getting, um, you know, a very uh set in their ways dive culture in Cozumel to accept something there may be another dive on Cozumel um and and that's been the hardest thing
0: that's really cool that's That's, awesome yeah yeah that's a a good one I actually wouldn't have even thought of that it's I feel like that's very unique compared to some of like I don't know I I feel like a lot of times our guests answer things that like i also have experienced but that's something completely unique that i i truly have not experienced in the dive industry and yeah, yeah yeah trying
2: to show people there's something else it's just like you know there is something and but everyone's stuck stuck, stuck in their ways you know palancar gardens oh no no it's like me all of a sudden turning around and saying yeah. hey look there's a reef that you didn't see and everyone goes no he's not there no it's just just there's a pinnacle just past palancar you know and and uh, people don't trust me but it's like no look yeah. there. There's something mm-hmm. there. Let's go and have a look. And, and that's been incredibly hard because, you know, it's, it's you know, yeah. Yeah. It, it, everybody knows best, right? And so when I'm all of a sudden producing these photos and people are going, wow, look at what is that really here? And, you know, yeah, amazing.
0: Given where you were raised and given how you like entered this field, just coming from kind of a different background, like you didn't enter directly into this field. You had a little bit of a roundabout route. Is there anything that you wish your younger self knew?
2: Uh, I wish I hadn't spent so long working in uh, music events, making other people look good. Um, I spent quite a few years of my life making recording artists that I don't like, don't support, and I don't think mm. should be supported, uh, making them look cool. And And I should have spent more time on me. Uh, there was a point in my life where I was looking at money more than my own mental health. Um, I thought that turning up to work, earning money, was the be-all and end-all where uh, all it was doing is making me unwell Um, and I I should have I should have uh, you know I I can remember waking up and not wanting to be there and that's that's a really really bad situation to be in in life and you need to be out, you need to wake up in the morning going yeah let's get on with it where I was waking up and going I don't want to be here and you know, and it was horrible. And I can remember going to, you know, I taking part in some of these concerts, and it would make mm-hmm. me cringe. Going, am I really supporting this kind of like this kind of thing? Um, I'm very much for for believing in mantras in life. You know, if you if you if you say something enough, it will it may come true. You know, um, and a, a lot of these bands that I worked for, some of the bands I've worked for had very negative mantras. They weren't. It wasn't a happy, shining, happy people holding hands. It was, you know, uh, it was sort of stuff I don't want to repeat. But they are very popular and they do make an awful lot of money. So I was just thinking about the money. And, you know, I, I I wasted years of my life not doing this. And I did it purely because of the money. And it didn't, the money didn't help me. I didn't, you know, you earn money and you often yeah. spend money. It's funny. Money is a funny situation. Um, and so I wish... I'd I'd had been brave enough to go my way rather than somebody else's way just purely because I was being seduced with cash. So so that's what I would like to tell my my if I could go back in life, I'd turn around to my my old the younger me and say, don't be lured into doing something just because there's money involved. Do something that makes you feel good. Yeah, and that I think is the most important thing.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think that's something that. I often like I also kind of feel that I I'm on kind of the other extreme of it where I I am not chasing the money. I I don't make very much money. And, you know, I've been pretty transparent with that on the on the podcast.
2: Hey, if you're making money, any form of money, if you're if you can eat, then you're doing all right.
0: (laughs) And that's, that's truly kind of where I've gotten to is like, I could either make a lot of money and then spend a few days a year paying a lot of money to do what I love, or I could do what I love all the time, sometimes too much, sometimes after hours, sometimes when I don't want to be doing what I love, right? But I get to do it all the time. And even if I don't make the most money in the world, all the money that I make doing what I love is money I don't have to spend to do what I love, right? Like. So I think that's that's kind of where I come to. Yeah.
2: Yeah 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 yeah. I you're totally right. Yeah, I think I think it's magic. I don't feel like what I'm doing is work and I'm sure I'm sure my dad would tell me <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm sure my grandfather would look at me and go, yeah. "What are you doing? What are you doing son? Come on." <laughs> However, it 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 makes it makes my world feel very yeah. special and and I think that's it's really hard in life isn't it to work out what you're doing why you are what and everything you ask yourself all these questions as you grow up what what exactly am I doing in life um I've never known what I'm doing in life I've never known and all of a sudden I'm doing this and I feel like I now know which is a bit weird it's taken me a long time to work it out but you know a lot of mistakes were made (laughs) and here I I am I
0: like it I like it that's a that's an awesome approach I think that's super fun um okay, well speaking of fun, we're going to get to some silly fun questions to round out the interview and then we will let you get back to your night which we have now taken most of.
1: <laughs> this is a really important question. What is your favorite marine organism?
2: Oh, crikey, only red. one. Uh I guess it would be a net casting siphonophore. Well. Oh, no, ah. would it be? No, or would it be a <laughs> diamond squid? Cuz that was amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. It, right okay,
2: so only one I, it, it either it's either a net casting siphonus for, which I find I, I think that is actually it. I think net casting siphonosphoes okay. are absolutely incredible. Um, so many animals uh, mimic mimic them, um, and yet they're not really found in fossil record. so their whole history is a little bit questioned. Um, obviously, they're completely soft-bodied. Huh. They're they're a community of animals. They don't. My biology is pretty poor, right? I I I've just picked stuff up from re, family relatives and and stuff like that. I don't really know biology that well because it's 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 long spelly words, and I never could get that. And chemistry was easy. It was like CH four, CH three. I could do that, but when you start having to spell some of these crazy biology words, mental. Whoever. Whatever dyslexic nutter came up with some of the spelling <laughs> for this stuff—it just doesn't make sense to me. So, anywho, right. So, net casting cyphonus community of animals all work together as one. Um, some of the largest mobile animals in the world; these things are huge. They create these massive stinging arrays. Um, if you happen to swim through one a bit quick, they—they they leak this bioluminescent fluid which is like alien stuff they look like hanging chandeliers that don't like light you put light on them and they turn into this glutinous mass of jelly blobbing up and down things they sting like crazy you don't want to lick one put it that way um (laughs) they propel themselves around at massive rate they they if you do a whatsapp so not WhatsApp, a, 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 do a Google search, go into Wikipedia and look at some of the images of the of the very first um, bio, biology. You know, they, back in the olden days when people didn't have cameras, they had to draw. So all the, all yeah. the biologists were amazing artists. In order to be a biologist, you, your penmanship was incredible. And some of the drawings in Wikipedia are just like fractals. You see people who have spent an awful lot of time on, you know, experimental chemicals have drawn. They are the most incredible fractal shapes, and I think that net casting siphonophores just have this most beautiful thing. What are they? Friggin' aliens. That's what I reckon they are. I reckon they dropped down <laughs> on a meteor at some point, colonised, and now <laughs> and now all the animals in the on the, in the ocean are trying to look like them. Are trying to be the siphonophore. Yeah. Um. You know, we have, there's there's a whole group of research at the moment about mimicry in deep sea animals in the larval yeah. stage i mean have you seen some of the squid that in their larval stage just look like siphonospores and that's just mind-blowing because they have the most incredible shapes <laughs> the most incredible textures the most incredible colors and you know everything wants to not touch them you don't want to touch a siphon yeah. um so yeah there you go what a crazy thing that is cool
0: nice Well, I will say, I'll just brag a little bit, but Sydney is an incredible scientific illustrator. She has a little account, a little account. She has an account on Instagram
1: that she puts a lot of her art. Rob sent me photos for the bikinis.
2: Oh, right. That's you. Oh, how about
1: that? Yeah. Yeah, but I I wanted to say thank you for sending me those pictures. And I've been trying to send you a pair of swim trunks and oh and... yeah look at that
2: yeah look at your lovely art i'm looking at i'm scrolling through it now and your squid your squid yes. photo, your squid chalk work <laughs> on the floor amazing i remember t- I, I, I got posted i saw it and i was just like holy moly it's amazing do you know what someone the other day
0: highly ho- likely it was inspired by your photos exactly it was
2: you even it was it uh, was, it was <laughs> even 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 tagged me, I yes, think that's why yeah. I saw it. And, and and somebody also the other day made some silver jewellery based on one of my crab megalopia photos, and I was just ah. like, I need that. It's amazing. I mean, I won't wear it, but I look really cool to see. But so to cool. see, the, you know, you know those stickhead yeah. crab megalopias you get, that you know, yeah. the first yeah. time you see one is just like, how is that even a thing? But they mm-hmm. are, so it's incredible. And the fact it turns into a crab, what? What is it with yeah, crab and things?
1: maybe someone can make you like a keychain or something yeah yeah
2: and stab myself in the pocket with a whole sharp face I think can we do something softer <laughs> and more cuddly I think I'd be like a little little bobtail squid maybe that you know might have some yeah. density to it but yeah so so going back to the whole like you know my favourite critter is the net casting siphonosaur. I think mainly because of the drawings that people have made of them and I think that's because yes. to take photos of them is really difficult but to to see the drawings and you need to do some you need to now research the net casting siphonophores because they okay. are they are know. trippy I'll it's do it like, yeah <laughs> they look like fractal art it's fractal art it's just like how can you how can an animal be a fractal but that one is
1: I'll draw one and tag yeah.
0: you um <laughs> okay favorite or like your best most crazy Dive, snorkel, water-related story. It could be on a boat. It could be like something amazing that happened, oh, yeah. or something <laughs> terrible that went wrong, or whatever.
2: Okay, I think I think one of the best stories for me was on the way back from diving in Chinchorro, uh, a few years back. Um, we we just did, did the third dive of the day, and luckily, when I'm in Chinchoro, I dive with, with 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 a friend, Heiko, and he just kind of he, I go on two tanks, and he lets me dive what and do as I want because. I run around and get photos for him, and so we were doing that. And long, I know the dive sites, I know how he's diving, and so I was swimming around and I was trying to get all these long shots. So I was getting on. Anyway, I was swimming around so much, um, I, I and I was busting for a pee. I got back on the boat and I was about to jump in, and go for a pee, and they said, "No, we don't have time. We got to go. We're, we're, we're chasing the light." And like about ten minutes into this, I was like, "On the journey back, and I said, Guys, look, please.'" I'm going to I'm gonna have problems if we don't stop now. So anyway, I jump in, I'm sitting in the back, I'm holding onto the ladder, having a wee, and someone shouts, dolphin. And I'm like, oh, quick, give me my fins, give me my mask, give me my camera. And so I grab my fins, get my mask, and I'm swimming off, and I look down, and I, I go, and I put my head back up, and I go, guys, that's not a dolphin. That's a f- sperm whale. So... But yeah we we basically yeah, it's incredible, right, so we we're there on the way back, we may maybe fifteen twenty minutes out from Chinchoro on the way back to Mahawal, and I jump in for a wee, and we basically jumped directly on top of a of a sperm whale, a male sperm whale just sitting there, full size adult, massive thing, and it was just chilling out the surface and and so, I'm there with a the camera, and I'm not trying to get it in the focus, I'm feeling a bit nervous that I'm the only person in the water with this massive, massive predator. Um, But then disappears, comes round and charges me. And I've got this video of this sperm whale coming at me at full speed. It then turns, puts on the brakes, turns round, rolls over and farts. (laughs) And I'm like, and and for some reason, I stick my head out of the water and sniff. What is going on with me? What is going (laughs) on? I wanted to know what a whale fart smelled like. I didn't smell anything. But I, I now look back and go, what a weirdo.
0: I like how I'm imagining you sniffing with your mask on, and the mask just like sucking to your face. <laughs>
2: like- yeah, I I, did. I whipped it off and was like, nope, nothing. But <laughs> it was, I guess I guess everything yeah. has to yeah. off gas, doesn't it? You know, even whales off gas from time to time. But so uh, you know, it was it's
0: it, those deep diving mammals, you know. <laughs> yeah,
2: but it was incredible, you know, and obviously, you know, seeing this huge, huge. Well, it's, it's isn't it the largest toothed predator on the planet? And to I see this thing in lines, front of me, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, wow, it was incredible. And that all came for as a result of me desperately needing a wee um, and and having to jump out. And then all of a sudden I'm in the water with, you know, an incredible cetacean like that. So that was pretty, pretty cool. But I think the funniest thing is the fact I smelt the fart, which I, I, what's going on with me? I don't know. But it, <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Most incredible so experience. Do you I still think.
0: have, do you have that footage
1: somewhere?
2: Yeah, I sure do. It's on my, it's on my Instagram feed. If you go to Instagram, look oh at my, my videos. Gosh. Yeah, yeah, it's just sitting there. And nobody watches it, because people don't go to my Instagram feed to watch a, a whale video. They they want to see the Blackwater read aliens and they, they like seeing yeah. blobs that, yeah, but so so that's that's that, really.
0: It's so cool. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, that is yeah. really awesome. Wow. Okay. One more fun question. What is something that you always crave after going on a dive? Like, do you have a food or a snack or something that's, like, the best?
2: Oh, it's normally a beer. That's what I want. Well, that's I, I finish a dive and <laughs> I want tacos and beer. I really want a cold beer. Um, I, do you know what? I really love melon after a dive. Bit of cake. Cake, melon, beer, tacos. That kind of, like, sums me up, really. And then, and then obviously straight in and edit the photos. It's, I just basically, there's a side to me that goes just, I want to see what I've just done. And so yeah. I, if, if I had my way, I'd come home straight away and edit. But I've now noticed that that's not the best way that I work. It's best if I sleep, then wake up and then do it. So I have yeah. to kind of limit myself. Um, but yeah, the, the food directly after a dive, nice bit of cold watermelon is really lovely. But yeah. tacos and a beer is kind of sitting on the back of my head. That's why yeah. I'm in Mexico, right? Tacos and beer and diving. It's amazing. Right? What more could you want?
0: Man, tacos are really good. I I do miss, like, good Mexican street tacos. Yeah, right.
2: Ugh. Yeah, El Pique. Oh, amazing.
0: Yeah. All right. Last question. We're going to round out the interview with. We kind of asked you at the beginning how you got into being in the water and how you got started in the water. So what is it, after all this time, that keeps you coming back to the water?
2: Uh, the unknown I, I love. There's something incredible about seeing something new. Um, I, I, I dive reefs and I kind of go, met, seen it. You know, I've seen tails, I've seen sharks, uh, I've seen anemones, I've seen all kinds of different fish. But when I go into the black water, I see stuff and I go, what is that? What am I looking at? And and that is probably the most exciting thing ever. The first time you see the new squid, you see the new fish that you've never noticed. And that is what I think one of the most wonderful experiences. And so the, the, the thing that keeps getting me back in the water is the chance of me seeing something that I've never seen before um, and doing yeah. something, being somewhere. You know, okay, it's, it's in a completely black environment, right? So you jump in, so just to purely describe the black water, it's nothing. There is no reef there. There's nothing. There's no landmarks. There's nothing, but there is stuff that you may have never seen before. And and that, that's an addiction. That's an addiction.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah the well, unknown, I'm, right? I think you you chose a good uh, a good career to be doing dealing in the unknown, the, I, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> Amazing.
2: I mean, I I think I would really love to do, um, to be one of these guys who. Pilots these crazy submersibles down to like five thousand meters, right? It's it's amazing, right? You, you know, you know, you see, they're, yeah, but they're all drones these days, aren't they? They're not manned submarines. <laughs> yeah. They're all they're all that's PlayStation's right, right. on a boat. But you need yeah. to you need to have incredibly rich family in order to do that. In order to push your way through university and have all these masters and PhDs and all this stuff, you need to be an incredibly dedicated person. Which unfortunately I'm not. I'm way too like ADHD to fully get all that done you know i mean maybe i would yeah. do now if someone pushed me into the right degree and i realized that i could spell these names but i'm not i i'm a guy who can go out and do research and take photos of stuff and that's great i'm good at that i'm not necessarily yeah. good at writing big research papers to get these phds so i'm in a case of i have just generating it for myself i'm going to go down as deep as i can with with air and, and see what i find and it's amazing yeah and i can't wait to that one day that i find the seven-legged octopus I find the Dumbo that's shallower than one's mm-hmm. ever been spotted before. It's got to happen. In my book, there's got to be a case where a Dumbo octopus floats past Cozumel at 15 metres and we're out there and we see it. That's what I hope.
0: Yeah, that would be amazing.
2: I said this the other day online and someone went, yeah, but there's certain things in life we know that are not going to happen. And I'm like, but you never know. And they were like, mm, with an education, we do. <laughs> and I was like, fair <laughs> point.
0: Fair point. Okay. <laughs>
2: yeah
0: yeah that's that's cool though i like that that's awesome gotta keep the dream alive you know yeah right
2: keep it the dream alive That's, that's <laughs> yeah i mean i i, I want to find these crazy aliens i want to see them i want to see that because i now know that they're tiny <laughs> there's not much big stuff out there Ooh. yeah
0: yep yep um well thank you so much for coming on the podcast rob we're so excited
1: to yeah we're super stoked to publish this welcome dive sometime we'll meet in person someday
2: thanks for having me i i was (laughs) i was a little bit i was a little bit oh no what am i doing oh god but i forget how much i really enjoy talking about what i do it's so much fun you know i i got moaned at that the briefings you know, it can be up to like an hour and a half long, where I talk through the animals. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so important for people huh. to be prepared about what they're going to see. You know, a lot of times. But I've now got it down to forty-five minutes. So, I you know the the briefing is forty-five minutes long, and, well, and only forty minutes of that is actually about animals. So that's not too bad. Five minutes about the five minutes about the dive, and then forty minutes about the animals. Okay, so you can follow me on on Instagram at at Bob Tech B O B T E C. Um, you can follow Cosmo Blackwater at Cosmo Blackwater. Um, that's also on Facebook, um, Cosmo Blackwater and Blackwater Cosmo. If you want to do it that way around, same 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 same. We do have a, okay. a website, but I have no idea how that works. Okay. So that doesn't work. Don't go there. It Doesn't work. Um, and it. <laughs> It's just the at the end of the day what more is there to life than Instagram and Facebook that's where you can find us um and like share and smash the bell button isn't that what everyone does these days I think so
0: Yeah something like that Cool
2: And soon there will be the YouTube channel which I'm sure will be black smell I have got a feeling
0: Yeah that'll be awesome super cool and we'll link all of your socials in the description of our show too so um, you can go there and click that to find Rob's stuff there. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to head on over to our website where you can find information on submitting your great stories for our Fish Tales episodes. Those will come out about once a month, and you can find the form to submit your stories online.
1: Our website is under com. There's a little header at the top that says to dive for a podcast. And if you hit that link, we also have merch for sale. And you can also find us on Instagram at to Dive For podcast and on Facebook as well.
0: Don't forget to like and follow and share with your friends. See you guys next week.
1: Bye! So, you know, if you listen through the end of the episode, you get a fish fact. And kind of sticking with the theme of this week's episode, I have a fact on pelagic larvae. So some presumed advantages of having pelagic larvae, so larvae that's moving around in the open ocean, not necessarily on like shallow benthic reef habitat or anything like that. Um, Some advantages of having this pelagic larvae is the avoidance of competition for resources with adults. So they don't have to compete for things like food and space. And then they also have a decreased likelihood of inbreeding in the next generation. So because they're moving on these currents, presumably going really far distances from where they were spawned, um, they're not going to necessarily be inbreeding with um, other organisms nah, I don't know how I want to say that. <laughs> they- Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So it'll increase the likelihood of um, increased genetic diversity within that population. So just some cool facts on pelagic larvae to end our episode. And thanks for listening.